So hey, we are jumping into um, number six of our seven-part series of the I Am Statements of Jesus. Last week, we talked about Jesus is the Good Shepherd, and, um, and maybe you weren't here last week, that's okay, you can go back and listen to it online, um, but there was a point in us reading the scriptures about Jesus being the Good Shepherd where he makes this statement, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and then he says this, he says, I have the authority to lay down my life and to take it back up again. And so that kind of points us directly in the direction that we're headed to, to the I am statement of Jesus this week, where Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. See, when Jesus points to him laying down his life for the sheep, which is us, and then having the authority to take it back up again, he's literally talking about his resurrection. When he literally died for our sins, was buried for three days, and then three days later, the power of God, he, through the power of God, he raised from that grave. And in that, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He offers us new life in his resurrection power. And so, Jesus, at another point later in John, in John chapter 11, we see him make the statement that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So we're going to read through quite a bit of scripture tonight, um, and I would encourage you to go back and read John chapter 11, because even though we're reading a lot, there's still a lot that we're kind of leaving out just for the sake of time. But um, I would like to um, just kind of introduce you real quick to John chapter 11. When we open up in John chapter 11, what we find is that there's a a family that Jesus is really close to. If you're familiar at all with the scriptures, you'll recognize the names Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, okay? So Mary and Martha, they're the sisters. Um, So uh, Martha is the sister that got mad at Mary because... Martha was, she's probably the older sister doing all the work while Mary's hanging out with Jesus. Got any older siblings in the house? You probably understand. You're like, I know what she's feeling. I did all the work. Little brother, little sister, they never did nothing. That, you know, Martha was the responsible one, right? Um, that, that's, that's this Mary and Martha. Mary um, in this story is the one who, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus as he's preparing to go to his death, um, she actually comes and pours perfume on Jesus and begins to wipe his, uh, wipe his feet with her hair. And so culturally, not quite as weird as it sounds today, okay? Like, but it was kind of a sign of adoration and love and, and kind of commitment to Jesus um, like as her Lord and Savior, not like as a boyfriend or anything like that. She just re- was very, very appreciative of what Jesus had done in her life. And so culturally, it was a way for her to show that kind of commitment to Jesus. Well, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, Get sick. Now, you got to understand that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are like, they're like Jesus' best friends. Um, they're like in the best friend category. These are like ride or die kind of friends, okay? Like, the, Jesus loves these guys. He makes a sacrifice to hang out with them. They make a sacrifice to hang out with him. How many of you know that, like, if it's not the holidays, the people you hang out with matter, right? Like, they matter to you. Like, you go see everybody you're supposed to see on the holidays, but between all the holidays, the people you spend the most time with, the ones that you're like taking out of town road trips with, like those are the ones that really tend to have a, a tender place in your heart. Well, that's kind of who Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are to Jesus. They're, they're just very, very close friends. And, and Lazarus gets sick. And since there were no doctors or hospitals around, the sisters are the ones taking care of Lazarus. And and man, it had to have been getting bad because they literally, they, they tell another person that's there with them, hey, you got to go get Jesus. Lazarus is sick, but he's not just like sick. 
He's like dying sick. Something's wrong. Go get Jesus. We need Jesus to heal Lazarus because there wasn't like an ER to take Lazarus to. You guys understand this, right? No hospitals, no doctors. Go get the guy who's been healing people. That's Jesus. He's our buddy. Go tell him what's up with Lazarus. They go, the the messenger runs off, he goes and tells Jesus, hey, um, Lazarus, this guy that you really love, he's sick. Jesus' response is like, this isn't the kind of sickness that leads to death, so go on home, and uh, I'm going to stay here and teach for a little bit longer, right? The messenger goes home, we'll call it email, you know, it's as slow as email, right? Um, He goes home and and gives a response, and, and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? I see you, you're supposed to bring Jesus back, and they're like, well... He just said, this isn't the kind of sickness that leads to death. And then he just kept teaching. Like, he just stayed where he was, right? And the truth is, Jesus is only a couple miles away, okay? So he could have made the trip, but he stayed right where he was at. And, um, and, and during this time, while he stays, Lazarus actually passes away. And now, death in any instance isn't pretty. Um, if you've ever been in that kind of situation, you understand that, that it can actually be a pretty hard thing to to deal with especially you got to imagine before the medical advances that we have today okay and and so Mary and Martha as Lazarus's sisters they're taking care of Lazarus as he's dying and they're wondering where Jesus is and so um, Jesus he stayed behind for a little bit but he turns to his disciples at some point, and he, he says, hey, listen, we got to go to where Lazarus is. We need to go back to, um, back to, to, uh, to Judea, and, and we need to go visit Lazarus. And one of his disciples is like, wait, Jesus, that's not a good idea. Last time you were there, they tried to stone you to death. So maybe it's not a good idea for you to go back there, right? And, and then Jesus, this is kind of where we'll pick up in the scriptures tonight. Uh, John 11, verse 11 through 16 we're going to have it up on the screen. You can turn there in your Bibles. Um, this is where we, we're going to pick up where Jesus responds, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Remember Jesus? He was sick. He just needs to sleep it off. Why are you going to go wake him up? That's just me, you know? Anybody ever been woken up and you're like, It's 6.30 in the morning. This was my one morning to sleep in. Why did you wake me up, you know? His disciples are like, Why would you do that to him? Jesus uh, had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Jesus knew that he had died. His disciples didn't. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, y'all. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let us now go to him. Verse 16, then Thomas, also known as the original Diddy, T. Diddy, not P. Diddy, um, (laughs) he said to the rest of the disciples, all right, fine, we'll all go with you. We'll just all die together, right? Anybody got the pessimistic friend? This is T. Diddy, okay? He's like, he's the pessimist. You know what, Jesus? You want to go back to the place where they wanted to stone you? Fine. There won't just be Lazarus dead. There'll be 14 of us. You, him, and the 12 of us. We'll all die together. Let's go. So off they go to find Lazarus. Uh, Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's our I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, I want you to notice just a couple of things about, um, about this, this little story here. Number one, notice that Jesus is rolling up on a scene where um, there is a man that has been dead and placed into a, a, a tomb. Might be a better way to describe it, okay? A grave. It, it was like a, a, a hole cut out in a rock. They'd put a, a, a big stone over the top of it. This guy's been dead for four days. We're not saying like four minutes, not four hours, four days. The dude's dead, dead, right? He, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and he comes up on the, on the scene and he's telling, he, he's telling, um, he's telling Martha, your brother's going to rise again. Now, Martha, she's like terribly distraught. You have to imagine her emotional state after taking care of her dying brother in her home and then having to prepare him for uh, burial in this grave. She loves Jesus, but the truth is in her grief, in her distraught state, there's a little bit of blame casting going on. She tells Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. You can kind of feel the emotion in the moment going, Jesus, you're too late. If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. You know, Martha believes that Jesus is the son of God, but you begin to notice kind of this very shallow response. So when Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again, she takes kind of the easy road emotionally, the easy road to say, yeah, I know, he's going to rise in the resurrection of the dead. That day's coming in the future. And Jesus is like, no, I mean he's going to rise right now. But she kind of takes the easy road like, yeah, I believe that. Right? And then, and then she turns around and she's, um, she's kind of got this. Okay, here's the thing. Martha's response is kind of a shallow commitment to her faith, if we'll put it that way. It's a shallow conviction, if we might say that. It's kind of like this, okay? Um, this really bothers me, but sometimes I'll walk into churches, right? And, and I'll ask somebody, hey, man, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Blessed and highly favored. Anybody ever heard that? It's like some stupid Christianese term that somebody decided was a good response for uh, I'm doing good. You know, like, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm like, dude, I just want to know how you're really doing, you know? Like, <clears throat> so have you ever seen, okay, so I have a ministry of like marking out and tearing off stupid bumper stickers. Um, um, I keep a Sharpie in my truck just for this purpose. Um, <laughs> so have you ever seen the, the, the bumper sticker said like honk if you love Jesus? Like, don't honk if you love Jesus. Obey Jesus if you love Jesus, right? Like, the honk if you love Jesus is like a shallow commitment to Jesus. But if you really love Jesus, you'll obey him. At least that's what he said in his word, right? So Martha's kind of got this, like, shallow surface level. Like, whenever we walk in and we go, hey, how you doing? And your default response is, I'm good. How's your day? That's good. You know, and the truth is, no, it's been terrible. You just don't want anybody to really know, right? So Martha's kind of like, you know, Jesus is like, do you believe this? She's like, yeah, sure. And if you really look at her response, Jesus is like, hey, if they believe in me, there will not be any death. And, and he's like, do you believe this? She's like, yeah, I believe you're the Messiah. But she kind of leaves off the last part, doesn't she? Because she's dealing with death. 
in our situation. It's hard to trust Jesus for those things when you're in the middle of the thing, isn't it? Like when you're in the middle of the struggle, it can be hard to trust Jesus and just take him at his word. So I'm not trying to pick on Martha. Don't get me wrong. Like we've all been there, right? Like we all get in these kind of positions. She's downhearted. She's beat down emotionally. She's worn out physically from taking care of her dying brother. She's not even sure if she has the strength to believe what Jesus is trying to tell her. So she responds with, yeah, Lord, I I believe in you. Kind of the half-hearted answer. She kind of responds with the, the response that requires the least amount of energy. I can believe you for the thing that might happen out there. I can believe you for the thing that I know is going to happen in the future. Lord, I believe in you. I believe in your power. I'm just not sure I believe in your power for me right now, right where I'm at in the situation that I'm dealing with. That's kind of where Martha's at. So I I think if we really think about it, she wasn't, doubting Jesus, was she? She said, I believe in you, Jesus. But her faith's just kind of running low. If we're just being honest and we're just being fair, we've all had a down time in our lives when our faith might have been running low, right? Now let's look at Martha's sister, Mary. Look at her response to Jesus. Uh, We're going to go to John 17, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, My brother wouldn't have died. Her response is kind of the same as Martha's, isn't it? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord. And they took him. Verse 35, Jesus wept. That that right there is actually the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Maybe you're like starting, you know, scripture memory. Good one to start with. Super short. You ought to be able to handle this one. But the truth is, even though this is a really short verse, I think it's one of the most important verses in the Bible. Because we have this idea that Jesus was fully God. And we understand Jesus is God, Jesus is the Son of God, He's all that. But, but you know how Jesus identified more than any other way in the Scriptures? The Son of Man. In other words, Jesus might have been fully God, but He was also fully man. And, and what, the, what the Scriptures tell us is that He actually went through every... Um, Feeling or temptation that we ourselves might have to deal with. He experienced it. And so it's for that reason, and in verses like this, where I can go, Jesus was actually human. Jesus was, 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 was in this thing with his heart. He loved Lazarus, and his heart is breaking. Jesus wept. That's like the entire verse. That's it. But it, it just tells you a multitude about Jesus, doesn't it? He was fully man. He dealt with everything that we dealt with. And, and it's verses like this that allow me to stand up here and go, listen, you, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggle is, what your emotional struggle is, what your physical struggle is. I don't know where you're at in your faith. Maybe you're going through a tough time and your faith is running a little bit low. I can turn to you and say, Jesus understands your anxiety. Jesus understands your hardship. Jesus understands your depression. Jesus understands the feelings that you're dealing with. Why? Because there's nothing that you're dealing with that he himself actually hasn't dealt with. We see this throughout the scriptures and verses like this remind us Jesus was actually fully man. Verse 36, the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Hey, Jesus, remember, he's been dead for four days. People start to stink. In fact, you want to see something funny, get on your Bible app and go look up this verse in, in the King James Version. So my gift to you, it says, he, it stinketh. That's literally the words that it used. Hey, Jesus, remember, it's been four days. It stinketh. It, it's bad, Jesus. I'm just saying, it stinketh in there, right? But if you really think about it, this response kind of points towards Martha's unbelief in the story. Think about this for just a minute. If I'm Jesus, and I come up to you and I go, hey, I know your brother just died, and he's been dead for four days, but I'm going to raise him from the dead, roll away the stone. And your response to me is, well, Jesus, it's going to stink. If I can raise the man from the dead, I can take care of the stink, right? Like, if I'm, like that's my response if I'm Jesus. You know, I'm like, what are you thinking right now? I can, if I can do the impossible, I think I can give him a bath, right? Like, you know. Anyways, it stinketh in there, right? But that's my response. Jesus' response was love and compassion. In verse 40, Jesus said, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. My guess is that Lazarus is ready to run. He's all wrapped up in a mummy suit, right? But he just slept the best he slept for four days. You know, like he's ready. He's, you know, he's ready to go. Just like, let him go. Okay, let, let me ask something. Like, it's, you know, there's some funny points in this story, but think for just a minute about, like, the pessimism surrounding this story. Okay? You've got, you've got T. Diddy at the very beginning going, hey, Jesus, I know your boy just died, and I know you want to go back there, but I don't really want to go with you because they're going to try to stone you. To do it. Like, you know, he's totally worried about all the negative things, right? And then, and then Martha comes running out to meet Jesus, and she barely has the faith to say, I believe you, but I don't really want to talk about you raising my brother from the dead right now. Mary comes out and says the same thing. It's your fault, Jesus. You're too late. Had you showed up earlier, he wouldn't have died. Jesus' Jesus' response is, I'm going to raise him from the dead. And they're like, but it's going to stink. They're still thinking of all the negative things. All the people surrounding the grave at this time. You go back and read. They're all sitting around going, couldn't Jesus, the one who healed everybody before, couldn't he have healed his boy Lazarus and kept him from dying? And you see like all this negativity surrounding this entire situation. And Jesus is still Jesus. This lack of confidence, this cynicism, the lack of faith of so many that are surrounding Jesus. And yet he responds in love. See, throughout scripture, Jesus is always so kind in his response to our doubt and our unbelief. When you really go through there and you look at it, the only time Jesus is against someone's doubt or unbelief is if they were prideful and arrogant in their doubt and unbelief. 
And then he's like, he'd put them in their place. You know, he'd get into like full-grown man Jesus, right? You guys remember him? But it's never the case with someone who's genuinely having a crisis of faith. One guy approaches Jesus, says, Jesus, my son, nobody else can heal him. Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. And Jesus heals his son. Like, that's the Jesus we're talking about. See, the, the thought process, like, I hear things like this all the time. Like, if God's good, why do bad things happen? If God's all-powerful, why do bad things happen? And the thought process goes like this. Like, it, it, when you're in the middle of the struggle, people assume that if God is all-good and all-loving and all-powerful, that bad things shouldn't happen. But if we're just being honest, that's not biblical. That's just not the truth. See, God doesn't cause bad things, but I would say it like this. God is an opportunist. So God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but when bad things happen, he views it as as an opportunity for him to show up. He's kind of a glass half full kind of guy, right? So he's not the God that, that caused Lazarus to become sick and die, but he is the God that was really looking forward to healing and raising Lazarus from the dead. You see what I'm saying? So we, we kind of get this idea that, that God caused all of these things. And some people even point to this story because at one point Jesus is like, hey, his sickness is just for the glory of God. Don't worry about it. And so people point to that and go, well, God caused him to be sick. No, that wasn't the case at all. Actually, God just recognized the situation and said, we're going to take care of that one. Watch my power. And I'm going to get glory from this. You see the difference? Like, so God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but when bad things happen, God doesn't run from them. He runs to them. He's just waiting on us to, to, to pray for those things, to begin to inject God into those situations so that his power and his glory can be manifest. But how many of you know that when we're in the situation and we're frustrated with the situation, sometimes it's hard to see past our own hurts and struggles? right? When you're in it, it's difficult. And so, so Mary and Martha, they blame Jesus for not being there. Mary believes in Jesus, but she's more worried. Uh, Martha believes in Jesus. She's more worried about the stink in the grave, right? You know, like uh, th- this is just kind of where they're at. But consider this. Nowhere after the fact does Jesus, does anybody ever come back to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, what you did wasn't good enough. Like, thanks for raising Lazarus from the dead, but if you'd been here before, you wouldn't have had to do it. Like, no, nobody, when you're on the other side of the fight, when you're like victorious in the, in the battle, you never look back and go, well, Jesus, had you just shown up earlier, none of this would have even been an issue. You, you see what I'm saying? And so it works like this. We're dealing with stuff in our life. We've got sin. We've got shame. We've got struggles that we're dealing with. Um, and, and, and we talk to somebody about it. And because they're living like in victory, they're like, oh, it's all good. Just give it to Jesus. He'll take care of it. It's no big deal. Just get over it. It's all good. Give it to Jesus. And we're like, but we're in the middle of the struggle. And we're like, it's not all good. You know, like, what are you talking about? And so when we're in the middle of the struggle, sometimes it's hard to see past our struggle. But whenever we get out, right, we kind of forget about the struggle, don't we? We just remember that God brought us through. And then we go and we talk to other people and we're like, it's okay, God will bring you through. That's just annoying, you know, (laughs) for just being honest. Like, I really wish you would take my situation seriously because it's a serious situation for me, right? Like, 
Pay more attention. It's easy to say that on the victorious side of the fight. It's easy to just remember who God is. It's easy to think, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. God really is that big. When you're in the middle of it, it's, it's difficult. Our carnal minds begin to take over. Instead of walking in faith and believing in Jesus, we begin to, we begin to think of like the easy answer. Sure, Jesus, I believe everything will be okay in heaven one day. I'm just not sure you care about what I'm going through right now. We, we, begin, to, we begin to forget so quickly that if Jesus can raise a man from the dead, he can take care of the stink too, right? <clears throat> We don't want to lose focus. We don't want to take our eyes off of Jesus. He is the power, and the life that he brings into our situation is what we needed the whole time. And even in our doubt, like, you've got to understand this. Even in our doubt, Jesus is gracious. He's caring. He's leading us tenderly. He's not frustrated with you or your doubt or unbelief, however that comes about for you. Jesus even reminds all the cynics standing around the grave of Lazarus, didn't I tell you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God. You know, Jesus turns around after this and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And I've always thought about this. Like, you know why Jesus had to, had to define Lazarus, come forth? Because if he didn't say Lazarus, every dead person was going to come to life on that day. Right? Like, that's the power of Jesus that we serve, right? Like, this is the Jesus we serve. This is the God that we serve. Like, he's still the resurrection and the life. He is the power. He is our righteousness. He's all of these things, whether we feel it or not. Listen, Jesus is the resurrection and life, whether you've lost faith or not. Wherever you're at in your struggle, Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. It kind of works like this. As important as Jesus' death on a cross was, the most important thing is that three days later he rose from the dead. You can search through religions the world over. I mean, here's the truth. Buddha has a grave and his remains are still in it. Muhammad has a grave and his remains are still in it. Jesus didn't even have a grave. He just borrowed one for three days because his remains aren't there. He just knew he wouldn't need it three days later, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, this is the Jesus we believe in. God raised him again from, dead, from the dead on the third day. And the truth is, if we don't believe in that, what are we believing? Why do we call Jesus Lord and Savior? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if he's not seated at the right hand of God the Father, if he didn't, if he didn't uh, conquer death, hell, and the grave, why do we call him Lord? Why do we call him Savior? Is he really the son of God? This is kind of that foundational piece that we got to get in our faith. In fact, Paul, later writing to some churches, he would say, listen, if this thing ain't true, if we don't get that part, none of the rest of it matters. It's always been about Jesus. And the truth is, even in those moments when we're doubting, the ability of Jesus is not dependent upon our ability to believe. The the truth of Christianity doesn't fall apart just because your life might be falling apart right now. The truths that we hold to, Jesus is the resurrection and life, are still true. So I was reading in a book um, not too long ago about why the resurrection of Jesus was so important. And um, <clears throat> he explained it like this. The author explained it like this. When Jesus was here on earth as a man, 
he was walking around with 12 disciples. He was teaching crowds, multitudes, whatever. Um, but, you know, scripturally, we will see that he was with a crowd of like 5,000 men on a hillside, right? Seems like a lot of people, but there are over 5,000 Christians just in San Angelo. And so when Jesus was here as a man, he was very restricted on how many Christians or believers he could influence at one time. Now, when Jesus was, was talking to his disciples and he's telling them, listen guys, it's better that I go because if I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And what he told them was, if I go, then I get to come back and I get to take up residence in the hearts of every believer. In other words, I don't just get to hang out with 5,000 on a hillside. I get to hang out with millions the world over. So, when Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life, we, we see that his life is actually what we depend on. His life, him taking up residence in our hearts, is what we depend on. That salvation for us, when we declare that Jesus is, is Lord and Savior, the power of Jesus, it, it, he takes up residence within us and brings his power to us. Whether we struggle or doubt or not, it, it, he, his residence takes up, he takes up residence in our hearts. Why? Because of his resurrection. And so here's what I want to do. Just to kind of illustrate this a little bit more, um, we're, we're going to kind of close with this illustration um, the band can come up as soon as I'm done here. So, how many of you guys um, went and hung, hung out in Sonora this last, uh, this last weekend? Yeah, we had a few of you. We got a picture of you guys. Somebody took a very sexy picture of y'all. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> these guys went and hung out in Sonora. And uh, this last weekend, Sonora is a, is a local town. They just got flooded. They, like, dude, they got wiped out. Like, these guys are working in houses. They can see the flood water lines in these people's houses that they're working on, like feet, multiple feet of water in their houses. These guys took a, uh, took a day and went down there with some, some local friends of ours and, and hung out for a little bit and decided that they would help clean up this effort. And so, <clears throat> um, I got to thinking about this. Um, one of the... One of the things that they requested that we take down there was gloves, like work gloves, right? Now, think about this with me for just a minute. Um, If I tell this glove, hey, glove, um, I want you to go clean up Sonora. They need some help. Go ahead, glove. Go for it. Glove, you there? Come on, glove. You can do it. Glove, listen, you were made for this. Your name is Tool Handler. Why don't you go grab a tool and get to work? Clean up some, you know what this glove, he needs some encouragement. Y'all encourage the glove. Come on, let's go, glove. I know what this glove needs. This glove needs some community. He needs some friends, some other gloves to hang out with. Man, this, look, this is like a multicultural community of gloves. We got everybody, right? Hey, hey, glove. Listen, you got a lot of good friends around you now. Why, uh, look, here's one just like you. Y'all match. Uh-huh. Yeah. Glove. Great community. You're encouraged now, right? Go. Sonora's calling your name, brother. Go for it. You know what this glove needs? He needs to commit to what he's supposed to be doing. He, he needs to recommit. Maybe he needs to, like, walk the aisle, come pray. For, he needs to get baptized. There you go, glove. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. Sonora is calling your name, tool handler. Uh Uh-huh. See, it's kind of, 
I mean, it's kind of dumb. I get it. <laughs> but listen, even though that glove was designed for work, it can't ever do work unless something with life enters into that glove, right? It was designed for work, but it will never do work unless life enters that glove. And it kind of works the same way with you and I. We were designed for a life lived with God, our Heavenly Father, our Creator. We were designed for great relationships. We were designed to have a great relationship with our God. We were designed for great relationships with each other. We were designed for worship. We were designed to live for Him, to live in unity with our Creator. But we can't do those things unless Jesus, the life, enters our hearts. Jesus is the one that allows us to have a relationship with God. Jesus is the one that gives us the life and the power that's necessary to live a life of righteousness. Jesus is the one that helps us do the thing we were always designed to do. It's his life in us that allows us to become who we're supposed to become, to overcome sin. Some of you need to hear that today. You've been fighting sin. You've been fighting things in your life, things that have been separating you from God, and you've been doing your best to fight them on your own. It's time for you to hand those things over to Jesus. I get it. You're frustrated. You've been dealing with it for a long time. When it comes to this area of life, you just don't have a lot of faith, and you're really kind of mad that I'm sitting up here going, if you just hand it over to Jesus, he would take care of it. I don't have any other answer for you. Jesus is the life and the power that helps us do the thing we were created to do. He is the resurrection and the life. Now think about this. For some of you, like, man, this is why we are so pushy when it comes to things like life groups. Because you guys, some of you guys, you're trying your best to live for Jesus, but you're doing it inside of a community that doesn't love Jesus. You've got friends, but I would say they're the wrong group of friends if you really want to live for the Lord. But imagine for a minute getting involved in a life group where people love and know Jesus intimately and you're surrounded by brothers and sisters that are constantly injecting Jesus into whatever you're going through. They're constantly injecting life. They're constantly reminding you of the promises of God. They're constantly reminding you that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead three days after the cross is alive and at work within you. They're the ones that pray for you. They're the ones that pay for altitude. They're the ones that give you a ride to altitude. They're the ones that you can call in the middle of your deepest, darkest struggle and go, man, I'm just struggling right now. And because they're the right friends that love Jesus, they bring life into that situation. The friends you keep are important. Some breed life. Some breed death. In Jesus, there is life. Some of you guys need friends that will point you back to Jesus. See, I get it. You want for Jesus to be Lord and Savior. You want for Jesus to be Lord and Savior over every area of your life. 
You want for Jesus to be the one who's in control. You want to honor the Lord in every area. You want him to take up residence in your heart. You want him to take control. Man, and that's the decision. Are you going to allow him to do that? Or are you going to keep doing things your own way? You're the glove. You need life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Some of you are sitting there, and this is kind of where the doubt begins to rise up because you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're like, that whole resurrection thing, rising from the dead in three days, that's just weird. I get it. I understand. Maybe there's a little bit of doubt or cynicism that begins to rise up in you. You got to know that Jesus is okay with your doubt. Jesus is okay with your cynicism. Jesus is okay with you not being okay. He's just not okay with you staying that way. See, when, when the resurrection and the life takes up residence in your heart, things begin to change from the inside out. And, and the thing that goes, I just don't know if I can believe in a Savior that supposedly died 2,000 years ago and then rose again three days later, I would encourage you to approach Jesus with that doubt. It's what I did in the very beginning. God, I don't know if you're real, but everybody keeps telling me to pray. Everybody keeps telling me to read my Bible. I'll do my part if you'll do yours. The cool thing about that kind of challenge is that if you seek him, you'll find him. When you knock, the door is opened. That's what the Bible says. And you'll find him the same way that I did. Some of you guys are sitting out there thinking, okay, but but Heath, there's there's always that part that I've... uh, that part of my life where I've never really let Jesus into. There's always that part that I've kept hidden. It's, it's the sin, it's the shame, it's the, the place that I've always kind of, you know what, I'm just going to leave that grave closed. The death that exists in that area of my life, I don't really want to open up because every time I do, it stinks. And Jesus is just, he's just sitting back waiting, going, let me take care of it. Let me take care of it. I know it's tough. I know it hurt. It hurts a little bit when we begin to open up those dead areas. But listen, nobody ever watches Jesus turn death into life and then goes back and says, Jesus, I wish we could just go back to the way it was. It wasn't worth it. Never heard anybody make that kind of statement. Not when the power of Jesus takes up residence in your heart And begins to change your life. Let me pray for you guys tonight.